Ocean Voyages, Expeditions, River Journeys, Viking is dedicated to bringing travelers closer to the destination, offering a small ship experience and a shore excursion in every port. Learn more at viking.com. The course of true love never did run smooth, as Shakespeare says, but the course of true love for Morwenna and Drake is one nightmare of a road trip to hell. Thanks to Ross's lucky rescue of Lord Falmouth's nephew, he now has entree into the aristocracy, and I do not. Until we're allied to the Godolphins. So Morwenna will be wed to Osborne, and soon. In a dastardly bit of Warlegan mischief, George arrests Drake on trumped-up charges of thievery, telling Morwenna the only way Drake won't hang is if she marries the Reverend Aussie. She does, of course, and we're all distraught. And speaking of distraught, goodbye, Geoffrey Charles. Did I mention I have good news from Harrow? Geoffrey Charles is to start there next term. Oh. A I... fine thought, is it not? A new home and new friends. And even for those deeply in love like Caroline and Dr. Dwight, true love is slow after the traumas of war. But the dashing Lieutenant Armitage has some advice. I thought Caroline was different. I thought she had imagination. Yet she seems incapable of imagining what it's like to come home to a life which is utterly vacuous. My mother's no different. She tries to tell me of the latest intrigues. Newest fashions. Does that not infuriate you? All the time. And then I remember that she's not lived as I have lived, as we have lived. I'm Barrett Brontis, and this is Mining Poldark, a podcast from Masterpiece. I'm joined by my wonderful co host, Robin Ellis, the original Ross Poldark from the 1970s adaptation of Winston Graham's novels. Hi, Robin. Hello. Let's lay out all the ways love goes foul in this episode before we get down to our favorite scenes. Strawberries in bed, toads on the lawn. There's good and not so good for George as this episode unfolds. The fruit looks delicious, but the toads bring back unhappy boyhood memories. Poldark again, damn his eyes, must be. Did you know that by 2019 standards, Ross Poldark was a childhood bully? That's right. Our hero used to stuff frogs down young George Warlegan's breeches, bequeathing a lifelong hatred of the amphibians, an unfortunate legacy given that his brother-in-law has been restocking the Trenwith Pond with baskets of frogs in order to make his beloved Morwenna smile. Caroline had led a sheltered life until she got involved with the folks at Nampara. So the post-traumatic stress disorder Dwight is experiencing and exhibiting is truly frightening for her. It must be he doesn't love me anymore. But hark, is that a ribbit I hear? No, it's the sound of Morwenna and Drake shippers sobbing into their primrose bouquets as Morwenna makes the ultimate sacrifice, agreeing to marry Aussie in order to save Drake from the gallows. For his part in the Drake affair, Geoffrey Charles is being sent by George to boarding school at Harrow. It's a good thing we have Aunt Agatha's 100th birthday party to look forward to. After all, it's going to take more than just a single dose of Elizabeth's special tincture to erase the memory of Aussie's amorous toe perversions. 
Excellent. <laughs> yes, very memorable. Excellent. Well done. Terrific. Yeah. Oh. Gosh, you've got really a wonderful style. I enjoy it very much each time. <laughs> no, no, it's great. It's terrific. Thank you, terrific Robin. Stuff. Well, I think that our our recaps really get to something that's special about this episode, which is the episode is is heavy with some really serious, very serious issues. Um, but it also has so many very funny moments, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, yes, yes. Um, I mean, what a blessing Aussie is in those terms, and riches to come on, on yeah. the Aussie front too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a nice balance. Uh, I understand that you and I have mm -hmm. chosen um, our first favorite moment of the episode uh, as the same one. Okay, over to you. Okay, um, uh, it's a little something we like to call Drowena, which is when you take Drake <laughs> and Morwenna and you blend them into one. Um, it is, it's uh, a great moment where Jeffrey Charles and Morwenna are uh, delighting in watching Tom Harry. He's, got, he's been ordered to clear the, clear the pond of toads. Drake's toads from last summer must have bred. I hope not. But he did it for us, Wenna. Make us laugh. <laughs> you especially. I. He told me he thought you'd look sad sometimes and that he'd do anything to make you smile. Did he really say that? Do we doubt it? If we see a chance to give or take pleasure in this world, ought we not to seize it? And then Jeffrey Charles is summoned away and Drake and Morwen are left alone together. And then there's this really great, super romantic scene where she's been resist resisting him because she feels she must do her duty. Why have you come? I sent you away. I went, meaning to put you behind me. But all I could think of was you. Day, night, sun, moon, sleeping, waking, working, dreaming. My life is not without you. Didn't you love that? I know. I mean, he is a, a natural, natural poet. He, it pours out of him. He I can't know. Help Move it. over, Hugh Armitage, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes, totally. Yes. Big competition, yeah. ironically. The brother of Demelza. Wow. Yeah. 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 And then what happens is, you know, she tries to resist and he says, look me in the eyes and tell me you don't love me. And she struggles. But then, of course, she can't, she can't tell him that lie because she loves him with all her heart and she uh, kisses him hungrily on yep. a bridge so we know they're in trouble, right? It's the bridge of size, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes. I knew yeah. it wasn't going to go well after that. Look, yeah, I mean, she, she dissolves, doesn't she? She just, it's wonderful. It's a great moment where this yeah. uh, resolve just disappears and... Uh, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous love scene in, in a truly romantic setting, in a, a romantic way. It's, uh, and it's convincing. It's convincing because the two play it brilliantly and, uh, and you believe them, that they really are in love. Yeah. It's, I, I think it also does some work for me as a viewer because in this episode, I felt like Drake was just being a complete boob, you know, kind of a dummy. Um, with these frogs and I liked learning why he was doing it it was to get her to smile 
and I and again, I always have to remember these are very young people, right? He's very young. Um, and so I have to see his behavior in that context. You said that but, before, and I, I, yeah. I appreciate you telling me that. I mean, reminding me of that, because it's it's easy to forget that they are they're young mm-hmm. anyway, very young. So Yeah. Yeah. It's important. It's important. And it's important to give him sort of a moment of like, you know, emotional truth and real power and um, to cement this love here, because otherwise I'm kind of rolling my eyes a little bit like, oh, Drake, what are you doing? Right. You're in you're you're endangering your life. Now you're going to be hanged. And um, it's all because of these toads. So... Well, what's in, I, I found it very interesting, just watching it a couple of times. He, he's actually uh, breaking the rules of society, which is what she says. You know, the, uh, She says, Drake, why do you suppose this has anything to do with the heart? That's not how oh, the world works, and we're yeah. in the world, and we must keep its rules. And Drake, who comes from the lower classes, uh, says, must we? Yes, you should know that by now. And they say, I, I don't know anything more. I don't know anything more. I know except what you tell me. And and mm-hmm. it's almost a sort of um, disingenuous look that he, he gives her. He's he's breaking the rules. And it's not for such as he to break the rules. These rules exist. And that's why society works, uh, we're told, or they're told. And they're usually broken by people from the top coming down, like Caroline, mm. for instance. Caroline, Caroline is, you know, a privileged aristocrat, and she can break the, you know, the the norms of society and and marry below her. I'm, I don't. Right. I don't accept that that old Dwight is below her, but that's how they saw it. <laughs> Certainly, her her uncle saw it in those days. Um, but D- Dwight is is coming from from below and break and breaking upwards, and that's that's very unusual uh, in in the eight, late eighteenth century. I I think. I mean, he does it yeah. out out of a sort of innocence in a in a sense as well. But uh, yeah. it's impressive. He's he's and he he does it convincingly enough to persuade her, and she in the end she can't resist it. And I think it is the innocence in him. And in and in her that is so enchanting in the end to me that makes me really love this relationship. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, poor Drake is uh, is uh, in some trouble later on, but um, it his his resolve is is very strong, and it's very good to see it. And it's part of I think the Winston Graham kind of whole picture in a sense. Say more about that. I'm I'm interested. Well, that you know. Winston, he was writing at the, the end of the Second World War, uh, mm-hmm. and the society was changing. You know, the old, yes. the old, it had changed quite a lot after the First World War, which, which really blew that kind of hierarchical society apart. But it needed a bit more, and the, and the Second World War did even more. A lot of men got killed, and, and the, the Labour government, it was, a, it was a Labour government that came in in 1948. Churchill was was not elected, much to his surprise. Um, you know, Winston's writing in that in that context of society's norms being broken down, if you like, and uh, 
in a way, this is an example of society's norms breaking down. That's exactly what Morwenna says to to Drake. You know, this isn't the way it should be. You know, this, mm -hmm. this, this isn't the way it's organized. And maybe Winston had that in mind, uh, you know, um, when writing this, that he saw the world changing around him as he started writing the saga. And um, his, some of his characters reflect that. So we move on from our lovers on the bridge uh, what's your next big scene uh, from the episode? Okay, well, I, I'll go to... Um, it's a short scene between Aunt Agatha and George. Is that the one you mean? Yes. And they have, they have poor rickety Valentine in the same oh. scene. <laughs> oh, no. And it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a very, very short scene, but it's kind of interesting, I think. Um, it's, it's, it's revealing. George is very still, and he's looking down at the cradle where... where Valentine is, is sleeping, and Aunt Agatha comes up behind him. Crooked little mite, isn't he? Ricketts is a cruel disease. No sign of it yet, of course. It'll be later when he goes to school and can't run fast enough to escape. The bullies' boys can be cruel, can't they? Especially to one that gives himself airs. Especially to one whose grandfather was a blacksmith. As your nephews never cease to remind me. Georgie. It was not your grandfather they mocked, but your pitiful attempts to deny him was what you never understood. This scene really got under my skin. Ah. It's a great scene, but I'm very bothered in this episode that George was bullied as a, as a child. And I see Aunt Agatha, and I, I am a big fan of these uh, great uh, sort of duel of wit that the, the two have and it's sort of duel of cr cruelty as well that the two have with one another. Um, they're really gratifying. Mm -hmm. But I I think she comes in and, and deliberately is, is provoking him over something, that, over an illness that his child has, A, right? Um, yeah. And then she plants in his head that he may later be bullied for it and um, then she blames George for his own bullying. It pains me to think of, of a child being bullied, someone who's young, you know, and maybe everyone understands perfectly clearly from a very young age the um, class system, but he was nevertheless probably a child and didn't. Um, and this is why he has such a chip on his shoulder. You know, maybe the root of everything about George and why he's so evil later um, in our series is that um, he was bullied by Francis and Ross. Yeah, that's a whole other discussion. I mean, was he, yes, I mean, was it the bullying or is it something innate in him that, that, tri right. that is triggered by this, uh, which wasn't triggered in Sir Francis, for instance? I mean, that's a, that's a, a mm -hmm. discussion for another day, maybe. But uh, I absolutely take your point about uh, Aunt Agatha's cruelty, if you like, in, uh, yeah. in butting into this, this quiet moment of George and, and baiting him. I mean, she is pretty provoked by him as well. I mean, there is mm -hmm, no, no love. Lo yeah, he, they treat each other abominably, but it's terribly entertaining. It is. It certainly is. Well, I think, you know, the difference between Sir Francis Bassett and George Werleggen probably is Uncle Carrie, right? Well, <laughs> 
So Bassett doesn't have an Uncle Kerry <laughs> egg, egging him Kerry. on. <laughs> right. I'm not. I'm not sure George needs egging on, frankly. But um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Gosh. Yes. Gosh. How do you like me, a George Warlakin apologist, for once? <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy I, it while it, it lasts. I will. I will. I, um, Let's hold on for a second and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Coming up next on Masterpiece on PBS, the premiere of Nolly begins March 17th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, followed by the premiere of Alice and Jack at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central. And I have another scene um, where now I'm kind of mocking George like a terrible person. Um, It's this showdown between Ross and George uh, over at Trenwith. Yeah. Um, Ross rides over to see George uh, upon learning that Drake is going to hang um, Mm -hmm. and or is, is, you know, likely to hang and uh, that George is the magistrate. And um, George. So some of the things I like about the scene is I like the humor in it so much. There's this great moment where Ross enters the library um, and George is pretending to be very, very busy reading some documents or some letters or something. And he's sort of like moving his lips as he reads <laughs> and and sort of like it's audible, just slight, slightly audible that... Um, and then uh, Ross sits down, and he's not playing this game. He picks up a book off of George's <laughs> desk, opens it, and starts reading himself so that when George, you know, uh, lifts his eyes to Ross, Ross is engaged in reading. And so that was just so funny. I loved this sort of, like, Ross taking the power right out of George's hands. It was very funny. Haven't you played that scene yourself at times? <laughs> I'm not clever enough. I, 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 I can't think fast enough to do that. I... <laughs> Just sit quietly and fume. <laughs> ah, the hero of Tampere. How dull it must seem to be home. On the contrary, since your decision to prosecute my brother-in-law. You admit the connection. Should I be ashamed of it? To be related to a thief? He is no such thing, as you well know. Geoffrey Charles is a child whose emotions are easily played on. Your brother-in-law insinuated himself into his affections, into this household, where he contrived to steal a valuable family item, hoping, no doubt, to turn it into ready money. He is a Methodist. How likely is that? Furthermore, he callously engaged the affections of an impressionable young girl, and finally, deliberately polluted my grounds on several occasions this summer. With what? A type of... Amphibian. As he's saying it, he's realizing, oh no, I've made a terrible mistake. Like this is exactly the thing that I was mocked for in my childhood and now I've just given it all away. Um, And I I just think that this is exactly like Jack Farthing is such a terrific actor in his delivery of this moment. I loved it. Did you get a, did you laugh then? There's a slight hesitation before he says, amphibian because it's the it's the realization and and you're right this is what jack does so well this uh this other level that george is on all the time he's he's you know he's speaking but he's thinking as well 
and uh, he's, he did <laughs> yes. realize that this is going to come. It can't. It can't come out right. <laughs> yeah, and now we have to race on to our next to our our last scene, which you and I both have in common again. Okay. Shall you? T- okay. Take well, this us is away? The, to to go at it. It's a it's a, a sequence of scenes which ends, and it's the end. It's the last scene really that. Uh, uh, I've chosen, and, and you probably as well. It's it's mm-hmm. the the story of Caroline's absolutely not understanding Dwight's behaviour when he comes out when he's rescued. She thinks, you know, I'll give him a, a bit of care and uh, uh, and understanding, and and we'll be back to where we were. And his his behaviour is such that she really thinks that he's not in love with her anymore and he's probably Mm. going to leave her. She just doesn't understand it. Ross told me I must tell you. You're leaving me? No. My desire to return to the Navy is not for want of love for you, for want of knowing how to live in this world. This place, lovely as it is, now seems alien to me. Accustomed to the cries of wounded men, the quiet appalls me. I have slept so long on filthy straw that soft linen seems wanton luxury. Having lived in the shadow of the firing squad, the least noise makes me scream, and every breath I take makes me feel guilt. I am here, and others are not. You think me ungrateful if I decline an invitation or some delicacy you've prepared, but in truth, I have no appetite for food or society. All I wish is to hide away until the world no longer seems strange to me. Is that why Ross sent for Hugh Armitage? There is a... There is a kind of bond between men who have seen atrocities and survived and need to talk until all the horror is talked away. I would not have you hear such things until Hugh came and you know how to be rid of them. And are you now rid of them? It's a beginning. Can you bear with me? I can bear anything, now that I know I've not lost your love. I I loved the whole scene, Um, the setting in that beautiful rose garden that he is, he's in no way present there, you know, in this beauty. Um, And him having the courage to talk with her about this. Uh, And then the way he is able to articulate what he's going through. I I understand that, you know, this, his his articulation of this benefits greatly from history and um, our learning as a people to understand what uh, people have gone through in combat and who are suffering from post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. 
but um, he has this language. He's been given these beautiful um, words, ways of describing his experience. And it's so powerful, and he does such a great job delivering it. Uh, I think that you can't watch this scene and, and come away without understanding a little bit more deeply what people go through still to this day, what, what people are suffering from right now, you know? And that, oh, that's the power in it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that's why it's relevant now. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it's relevant after every um, terrible... Uh, conflict. Uh, yeah. People just don't understand. Uh, I mean, it was terrible the way she said, uh, you never used to look so girlish. Oh. And, uh, oh. <laughs> dear, oh, dear. I remember when my mother died, um, you know, a, tra a traumatic ev event, and my father and I were walking down the local street, and uh, someone we knew fairly well was on the other side of the street, and, she, and they avoided, they avoided us. They couldn't face the fact. And people don't understand, I don't think. They really don't. And this really tells that story. And it's a very important story, I think. Um, and dear Caroline does. And she, she makes that journey, helped by other yeah. people, helped by, by Ross. I mean, Ross, very, very brilliant yeah. thing he did there. Because he'd, yeah. he'd been in conflict and he knew what it was like to see people blown up uh, beside, yeah. beside you. And what we effect. forget that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think that we had a, a wonderful episode here. So how did our hero fare this week in your ratings of how heroic is Ross Poldark this well, episode? Well, I, I mean, I, he, he can't possibly come down from eight and a half, I don't think, because of what he did with Dwight and calling Hugh. And uh, did he convince you? Oh, yeah. Will he, will he did. He... <laughs> I'm going to bump him up to eight and a half from oh, my eight. <laughs> yeah, from my eight of last week. Um, because he also gave a, an unused field to the miners who had who were unable to work um, so that they could farm it and get food, which is terrific. I loved that he did that. That's so Ross, and it's so heroic. Very Thanks. True. Until next time, Robin. Thanks, Barrett. Bye. Never fear, Morwenna and Drake fans, there's still hope. In an interview with my Masterpiece colleague, Jace Lacob, Poldark star Elise Chappelle, reveals it's not all bad news ahead for the lovely Morwenna. How much darker are things going to get for Morwenna than this season? They're going to get pretty bleak, I imagine. I think, yeah, I, I'm going to say they get they get pretty pretty bleak, but what's nice to say is that there is always that little bit of hope. It's always darkest before the dawn. Exactly. <laughs> uh, is, is Morwenna's story ultimately about the loss of innocence? I think it's about, definitely about the loss of innocence, but also I think it's, she's part of this amazing love story. I think it's, her story is a, is one of passion. It's one of hope and heartbreak, um, but also incredible strength and incredible integrity. Um, you know, she goes on such a turbulent journey, but she I think it's I think it's a story of learning. I think she discovers so much about herself and aspects of her character that she had no idea existed. So I think it's a it's a story of learning and of growth. As a newcomer to Poldark, did any of the other cast members offer you advice? Uh yeah. Um everyone was amazing, but uh 
you know, I think Heather said to me once that, you know, you have to just, once you've done a scene, just it's important just to park it and move on because otherwise you'll just be thinking about it all the time. And that was a really great piece of advice because, you know, I can think a bit too much about what I'm trying to do and get wrapped up in my head. So that was a great piece of advice to just, you know, move on and you can't really change what you've done. So there's no point in worrying about it. <laughs> That was Poldark star Elise Chappelle in conversation with Masterpiece Studio host Jace Lacob. You can hear the rest of the interview and interviews with the rest of the Poldark cast at pbs.org slash masterpiecestudio or on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Coming up next on Mining Poldark, it's a long-expected birthday party. A hundred years old next week. We'll celebrate everyone's favorite aged aunt next time. And you can join us in our rewatching adventure here on Mining Poldark by watching the entire series on PBS Passport, a new member benefit from your local PBS station. You can watch select masterpiece titles like Poldark, Downton Abbey, or Victoria as part of the Passport experience. To learn more, visit pbs.org slash getpassport. You can also follow along with us on the PBS Masterpiece Prime video channel, available as an add-on service to your Amazon Prime membership. Mining Poldark is hosted by me, Barrett Brontis, and Robin Ellis. We're produced by Nick Anderson with help from Robin Bissett. Meredith Wheeler is our field producer. Tina Toby Mack and Alicia Ba Etube are our sound designers. Suzanne Simpson is our executive producer. The executive producer of Masterpiece is Rebecca Eaton. Sponsors for Masterpiece on PBS are Viking, Raymond James, and the Masterpiece Trust. Poldark is a Mammoth Screen production for BBC, co-produced with Masterpiece.